Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. Back in January, you might remember that I had a show centered around the humanitarian crisis happening in Bristol, Virginia, regarding the landfill. The health and well-being of citizens living there and even extending over into other communities near there has been at risk for a while now, but recently more attention has been paid to this issue by policymakers. So I wanted to do a little check-in and find out how things are going on the ground. So I'm joined today by Samuel Weddington, Senior Pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bristol, Tennessee, and Jackie Knopflin, Pastor of the Household of Faith Community Church, to talk about the status of the landfill problem and where do we go from here? So first, thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So Jackie, you know that I've already had Samuel on the show once, and I want to start with you because we've not met before. It's so nice to meet you. And when I had Samuel on the show before, we talked about what it was that got him really interested in this issue, what motivated him to start working on it. So I would love to hear your story. What was the spark that got you very active in this issue? Well, it starts with the effect of the landfill uh, to my own physical body. I didn't realize that it was the landfill, and many of us did not. I would visit with my granddaughters and my daughter and take them to the playground, but I noticed that the girls were getting sick and wheezing. I was getting nauseated and and, and little nosebleeds, and I thought it was the uh, trash dump that's not far from, you know, on the corner of apartments. I thought that's where the odor was coming from. And I suggested to my daughter to go and talk to the manager uh, about that and get that fixed. But it continued and it, and it had gotten worse. It worsened to the point to where our uh, grandkids, my grandkids were having to have respiratory breathing back and forth to the uh, urgent care at least eight times uh, last year or more. Uh, been tested for COVID every time it wasn't COVID at the time the urgent care uh, was brushing it off because they weren't smelling anything and that but they were hearing the complaints but they didn't think that's what it was until it affected the urgent care but yeah it started with the effect on myself first my grandkids which is very personal and um then Sam brought uh, to a minister alliance me, and I am uh, president of the Bristol Area Ministry Alliance, and Sam is a member as well, and he brought the uh, thought to the uh, alliance and said, is it okay? Is this something that Bama wants to do? And uh, it was discussion around the table, and it was absolutely something to do because I was then enlightened. Oh, this is what this is. Now, how close do you live to the landfill? I live at exit seven. So I would suppose I'm about two miles, maybe three miles. And Samuel, how close are you living to the landfill? Uh, I live about 1,500 feet from the southeast uh, wall of the that quarry landfill. So like right over the ridge from the landfill. Uh, you know, here in Washington County, because I live in Abingdon, we've smelled the landfill this far from the landfill. And I know that those who live closer to it deal with it on a daily basis. Is it getting any better? Is, is anything changing? Well, in, at exit seven, we don't smell it all the time. It's probably mainly at night. If it's hot 
or something of that nature, you know, if you're outside. It, and it finally did come inside my home because I hadn't uh, had that problem or that issue. And um, look, it got inside the home and, and the air purifier helped with that. But it's not all the time. It's not every day. I'm not living in it because of where, you know, I'm located. So we still get it. It's not as heavy as it was, but I do want to sort of uh, air a cautionary note. You know, one of the resources that members of the community have used uh, is, is the online app, Smell My City. You can do, anyone can do this themselves. If you'll go back and look at the, the data points uh, and, and map them, it actually makes sense. The smells are usually lighter, let's call it mid-February up through about June, because the, the atmospheric conditions are less likely to form what are called temperature or atmospheric inversions. And then around June and July, you can, you can look at the data yourself. It starts to ramp up on Smell My City and it has everything to do with, it gets hotter, warm layer of air is formed, it traps the gases. And so I, I don't wanna scare anyone. And this is what we're waiting and watching. Uh, but uh, while it has been lighter, my personal opinion based on the data is that it has more to do with atmospheric inversions and we might well be in for another heavy summer and fall, but we'll see. Yeah, and I visited with some of the residents out there at one of the protests taking place outside, um, well, right in the middle of Bristol, during the time that citizens were being interviewed about the effects on their health. So are we hearing, like at this moment in time, are there fewer nosebleeds, for instance? Because I know a lot of people are having nosebleeds, they're waking up in the middle of the night, they're having these health effects. Are y'all on the ground hearing fewer stories about that at this second, or are you hearing more? Well, uh, let me answer that. As far as myself, I just basically try to stay away from the area. Uh, if it's at, at the house, once I smell it, you know, I'm either going in or coming out to get in the van to drive away. But People that live near the uh, landfill are still feeling the effect of it. I mean, it, it, and it, even if it lightens up, they may be able to breathe easier, may not have a nosebleed every day, but nosebleeds are sure to come. Uh, upper, upper respiratory, they're sure to come. And these things, people with asthma are suffering the worst. And during a flu season or uh, this area of time that where sinuses are being hit left and right, and even more so with pollen and all these other type of things, it's hard to differentiate between what it is and what it is. But one thing we do know, it's the landfill that's causing certain things because it burns a different way than sinus ever has. Is in, in with my nose and with my family. And, I, and I, I'll pick up with Jackie. You know, I, I always like to talk about particular cases as being emblematic. And he wouldn't mind me using his case because he's posted it publicly on the site. Um, so uh, <coughs> you take uh, John Link, uh, George Link's dad, which George is a wonderful partner uh, with us in the, in the coalition that we've built. Uh, he's an engineer. He's gone out and field tested. His dad, John Link, uh, his mom and then his grandmother all live right off, off Georgia, uh, right near the church here. And uh, he's posted that even within the last couple of weeks, it's kind of gross, but it's pictures of 
you know, his pillow covered with nosebleeds, uh, his, his, his mother, uh, George's grandmother, uh, being woken up in the middle of the night, not being able to breathe properly, just, you know, so that, that kind of stuff is still going on, uh, you know, quite a bit, you know, and so it's, it's a really tough thing to say that, is it as intense as it was? No. Are people still suffering? Yes. And, and again, my fear is, is that things will continue to get worse as things heat up in the immersion layers. And I, I read a report from the Virginia Interfaith Power and Light. Can you all tell me a little bit about that group and, and what they were looking at when they visited the community? Uh, so Virginia Interfaith Power and Light is a nonprofit organization based out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, that works across all sectarian lines to help develop uh, ecological environmental consciousness from a, a faith-based perspective and work with communities to help them organize uh, to, to affect change in their community. It's led, one of the co-chairs is Reverend Dr. Faith Harris. Uh, uh, she's also a member of the Environmental Justice Council for the Commonwealth of Virginia. I actually first met her when I was at UVA Wise, um, the, the EJ Council came through, oh gosh, when was that? December or January. And I met with, uh, with Reverend Dr. Harris and some others. And then they ended up with a follow-up meeting uh, to Bristol the next day. They got to see what was going on, met Jackie, met Stephen Davis, who's another minister uh, that we work with, uh, Reverend Aaron at First Baptist and some of the others. And uh, so they were very interested in coming and helping out in Bristol because, again, and I cannot say or stress this enough, we have an environmental crisis that is, in some ways, absolutely critical to talk about environmental justice in the South because it's the intersection of poverty, race, and other uh, related issues and the disproportionate effects on vulnerable communities when environmental crises occur. And, and, and Virginia Interfaith Power and Light really emphasizes on those, those points of intersectionality when it comes to the environment and brings religious and community resources together to help lobby. So they, they came down and began working with us and then helped us organize this fact-finding mission, bringing ministers and other uh, uh, environmentally conscious uh, activists from around the Commonwealth down to Bristol to go to talk about, learn about the issue. We, we went into the landfill. We went into uh, Highlands Elementary. We saw the Juvenile Detention Center, and then they were able to put that report together. Yeah, and I've actually been thinking a lot about environmental justice, or I guess we could call it injustice, as it surrounds this issue. When I talk with my students about this massive problem in Bristol, I, you know, I think from an outsider's perspective, people may think, oh, well, then it's everyone in Bristol that's being affected by this, but it's not everyone equally. There are segments of the population that are the closest to the landfill who are being hit the hardest. And those people, you know, at the beginning of all of this, I remember seeing posts about how people were leaving the area, right? That like, oh, I can't take another night of the beast. I need to leave and I'm going to just board up my home and I'm going to go. But a lot of the people surrounding that landfill do not have the ability to just board it up and go. And so I, I, I've been thinking a lot about that and students and I talk a lot about that. Now I noticed from that report 
that some of the things they suggested was to close that school or to close that juvenile detention center. Has anything happened with that? No. But to go back uh, just from something that you said, this didn't just start. The smelling, the uh, the gassing did not just start. Uh, it started over 30 years ago when they were making the decision to put one in this area of the city. They knew what they were doing. Uh, where else would you put one? You wouldn't put one up around the high school or one of the, you know, major leading schools. Well, you would put one over in the low income area where it doesn't matter. Uh, people are not going to complain. And if they do, we don't have to do anything. They probably don't pay taxes. All kinds of different reasons had to have been in that conversation uh, at the time that they made this decision. So I wanted to, to make that point. As far as the schools are concerned, no. Everyone's literally holding their breath, waiting for school to, uh, to be closed for the summer so that uh, the children can have some type of relief from being locked into a hot room. Uh, but then there's outdoors. So I don't know what the, the elementary school is going to do. Down at the juvenile, you've been punished triple time uh, for whatever reason. Uh, no one should have to go through that. And in the staff, you know, when someone says, well, when we close, we don't want to lose staff. Well, you may lose them anyway if there's something detrimental happening. Uh, these are my thoughts, and they're not wishes, but if something was something really, really bad, then it would affect everyone. And I, I want to build on what Jackie was saying, even when it went to the planning and initiatives and where to put it. You know, it's very easy to make the argument, well, they put it in a hole and it just made sense. But there were other options they could have looked at to do it. And when the community did push back on it, they were shut down. And if you systematically look at even as effects started to accumulate around the landfill in terms of gases or other problems, you know, you had members of the community that have been complaining about this, not knowing exactly what's going on. Going back eight, 10 years, you listen to Reverend Davis and his mother living right up on the, uh, right up like next to the landfill almost. They, they've been suffering for this for years and they've been consistently shut down saying nothing we could do, not really an issue, it'll pass. I mean, Reverend Davis tells the story a number of years back of they literally called the fire department out to respond to that, that smell in his mother's home and they were doing gas detection and all this kind of stuff and just being told, well, there's nothing that we can do. And, you know, so again, it can, in a sense, be seen this way. I, I like to put it like this. It is true that everyone suffers from the landfill, as you're saying. However, there is such thing as disproportionality. Not everybody can deal with the effects of that equally. Not everybody can afford a purity fire. Not everybody can afford to flee. Not everybody has the training or the wherewithal or even the time to complain and systematically push back against this. And, and that's why environmental justice is so critical in this, is there has to be a voice in the community that's saying enough is enough. We are going to speak for those who feel, have felt like for a long time that they have not had a voice in a place at the table. Well, for those who are just tuning in, hi, uh, this is Red, Hot, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans, and I'm having a conversation today with Samuel Weddington, who is a senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bristol, 
and Jackie Knopflin, who is the pastor of the Household of Faith Community Church, to talk about the landfill and, and all the problems surrounding it. So, Sam, I want to go back to something you just said about being a voice. As a political scientist, I have been struggling around, <laughs> I struggle with the idea of representation and voice. Do you feel like, you know, one of the things that we like to study in political science is efficacy, that those who feel like they can make a difference in government, they're being heard. Do you think citizens are feeling that way now? Um, And I'm going to kick it over to Jack in just a second. I'm going to say this. It is my belief that we would not have had the 12, 11 person expert panel had it not been for the community organizing. And here I do want to give a shout out. You know, we've got Bristol Area Ministerial Alliance, Sierra Club. We have um, Don Evans, George Link. Yeah, Hope for Bristol. Um, but it was the, you know, Chris Aaron, the, the ministers that organized that October 12th meeting and the public came out. That was the starting point that I believe eventually led to for a lot of different reasons, why we had that expert panel and why we are today. And I don't know, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, we're where we are today because we continue to press and push. And um, you may notice that I let Sam step up front because they weren't listening to me. They wouldn't hear a word that um, at the time, my voice wasn't strong enough, wasn't loud enough, wasn't powerful enough not for this particular issue. And the rest of the community didn't feel that they were being heard all of past years. So, uh, you know, so we'll just wait and see what happens. And now they have, many have been receiving the air purifiers and they see that somebody stepped up to do something. And it happened to be the, uh, uh, the ministers and the other uh, supporting groups that made this happen. It would have never happened unless someone else stepped in front of the poor, the less fortunate, the vulnerable individual, people, homes, families. It was until then that uh, we started to see some movement. And I'm still waiting on movement. I'm waiting on conversation. I'm waiting on uh, uh, communication. I want to know what's going on, what's you know, with my council, with my mayor, I want to know what his thoughts are. What are they thinking? What are they doing at the table? I want to know something that will alert the community. Listen, we, we've been working on this. We're trying to do this. We're listening to the experts, you know, who now listen to these experts because uh, you've been given guidelines. Now, I noticed that in the report, um, so the Virginia DEQ report on what should happen there at the landfill. They ended up giving 10 recommendations, things about mitigating the odors that are coming from the landfill, also waste disposal and what to do with it moving forward, as well as early closure. Um, What sorts of things do you think are sticking there in terms of moving forward with just what is happening at the landfill? I really can't answer that. Um, what kind of things are sticking? Well, when there's no communication, it's hard to judge. If I use my own thoughts, I may be in error because I don't know what's going on behind scenes. Facts, what's happening behind scenes, you know, my thoughts gets me in trouble a lot of times. 
But um, this is what I hope that's happening. I hope that they're uh, going through it with a fine tooth comb. They're putting together a plan. They're listening to what uh, all the help that they can get, you know, as to which direction is best. But here's my concern, main, main, main concern, money. If we don't have the money, how can we make this work? Who's going to come in and help us? Which grants can we apply for? What do we are we eligible for? You know, so I'm just imagining that and hoping and praying that they're at that the uh, council is actually in the mode of meeting mode now and at asking these same questions. Yeah, I want to piggyback on what Jackie said. I think she's right. I think there are two elements of the report that if you want to call them sticking points or things that are going to make it difficult, and they actually have the same root cause. As you see in the report, the recommendation from the expert panel is to go ahead and shut the landfill down. The reason is, is that uh, to remediate it uh, and then continuing to operate the landfill can create continued problems and actually set back the remediation efforts if things don't go well. Well, that's a tremendous financial burden to the city for a variety of reasons, not to mention, you know, financial obligations they have towards it, but also just that's, you know, beyond the other waste they were taking from other areas. That's where Bristol, Virginia waste goes. Where is it going to go? What are we going to do? So there's the, you know, money issue tied to if we shut it down, can we even afford to shut it down? And related to the second issue, when you look at that report, and I think it's a great report, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, but you can't help but walk away with one question. And the question is, is how much is that going to cost? And it will be, I would say, anywhere from 50 to 100 million dollars. And who's got 50 to 100 million dollars? And, and I want to offer this as sort of a challenge to anyone in our community or anyone talking about or wanting to be involved in or uh, this issue. If there's one absolute need we have at this point, it's not to be, you know, oh, we were right or here are this, you know, we, we're, we're past that. We have the roadmap. What we need are constructive solutions on how in the world this is going to get paid for. Because here's the thing, you can have the perfect roadmap and if there's not the funding to actually enact that, we'll have a perfect roadmap. Nothing will be done. And 10 years from now, we'll be sitting here saying, well, we were right. We got the roadmap. But guess what? We still don't have the money to pay for it. And this is where I personally, and I think, Jackie, you, you may agree. I'll let you. We'll see. I, this is where I think it's so critical. Our whole entire community now, in my opinion, needs to now pivot. Hard words, hard feelings, things were said. We need to pivot now and realize that now that we have the roadmap, we're in this together and our obligation to one another as a community is to help find positive solutions, sources of funding, bring that pressure to bear to actually help the city because if we do not learn to stand together and help each other, as I like to say, and I'm borrowing from Dr. King, we're going to perish like fools. Uh, we, we just will. Um, we, we have got to come together at this moment and try to, to forward some positive solutions on how the city's going to get this thing funded. 
I don't know if that's where you're seeing. Yeah, and and I, I agree with that. You know, it, it's time now to real, realize the fact that we all, our nose are sensitive and our bodies and eyes are sensitive to the same gassing and foul, foul smells. And we have to come together as leaders and continue together as leaders and not be separate. You know, it looks like Bristol, Tennessee and Bristol, Virginia now are warring against each other and, you know, the gloves are off, but I'm in the direction that Sam was alluding to. I am on the side of redirecting. Let's come together and work together to make this happen because that's the only way it's going to happen. No one person is going to be able to say, unless they have 50 to 150 million, no one person is going to be able to come and say, I, I did it. Now, along with the, the money aspect of this, I did want to turn back uh, to you, Sam, regarding the air purifier project. So how has that been going? First thing I want to say before I get into the metrics, because the metrics are great. Uh, I want to thank every single donor. I want to thank Bristol Area Ministerial Alliance, uh, who not only made donations, Jackie's there about every um, disbursement, right? Like they're signing things out. And, made a few. Yeah. Uh, Bristol Area Ministerial Alliance, uh, so many churches, private donors. Again, uh, thanks to, to Hope as well. And, um, you know, if it were not for the donors and then the volunteers, which again, Jane Fry Nichols, I've already sung your praises in the Bristol Hair Courier, but I'm gonna give you a shout out. If it were not for the community coming together like that, nothing would have been possible. So this is what it looks like when we, we take that positive step together, that out of the way, uh, by God's grace and with the generosity of the community, we passed at our last distribution um, about 10 days ago, uh, we, we passed 1000 purifiers that we've been able yeah. to give out. Yeah. That's awesome. That, that, that is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And now am I correct that there is still a need for air purifiers? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and yes, we, we could definitely use some more donors. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like we need more donors and we also need really, um, smart individuals with creative ideas on how to make this happen the closing of this landfill to happen and for it not to cost as much as well we think it's going to go but it's probably going to cost yeah. you, you guys are correct well well and, and you know and so this is the part so this is the hard part and i do um want to say um you know i've met with a number of different uh legislators at the tennessee state and virginia state as well as the federal level um but here's the deal it's going to take a partnership between the state of Virginia and the federal government to ultimately fund this. There is $3.2 or $3.7 billion in the latest uh, budget just to address environmental justice mm -hmm. sites alone, not to mention other sources of funding. That's in the federal budget. In the state, uh, there are some contingency funds at the DEQ and, and other levels. Someone's it's going to it's going to take a, a, a array of lawmakers, both in Tennessee and Virginia, especially at the federal level. If you were to have Morgan Griffith and Harshbarger actually decide, hey, we're going to work together, bring a bill together to I don't know. I mean, look, at this point, 10 million bucks that they can find it somewhere would be awesome, um, along with uh, the senators from the two states at the federal level. 
if they could come together and really push on that and help provide some funding, that would be really well received. And then, uh, especially at Virginia legislature, the House of Delegates and um, uh, level, uh, I know Wampler and some others have been working even on creative solutions around opening another landfill site so that Bristol, Virginia would have a place to, to take their trash along, as other, along with other entities in Southwest Virginia. It's gonna take a whole lot of cooperation to get those checks cut. And this is where everyday citizens can uh, exercise their voice. You know, just call your lawmakers and say, this is a really important issue. And I want to encourage you to find ways to help uh, Bristol solve this problem. And no donation is too small. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great point. That is a great point. And that is a great point to, to wrap this up. Thank you both for being on the show today. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you missed any piece of this broadcast, you can listen again on any podcasting platform, be that Spotify or iTunes really any of them. And if you would like to give to the Purifier Fund, there will be a link on the Facebook page for this that I'll be putting up. So please check that out and give whatever you can. Thanks to everybody for listening. Have a great day.